You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, part of the ChristadelphianVideo.org network. This episode is called, Is Baptism Really That Important? Now the Holy Bible declares that baptism into the name of Jesus Christ is vital for eligibility into the Kingdom of God. Baptism into Christ is not only important, but it demonstrates one's change or repentance to a new way of life. By grace, through faith, they are then destined to enter into the kingdom of God when Christ will rule the world in righteousness from Jerusalem upon his return to the earth. So let's um, start with the definition here with what is baptism? And baptism in the Bible is a Greek word meaning to fully immerse. In fact, it's a term from the cloth dyeing trade where to colour fabric it's needed to be fully immersed in dye to change its colour. And so therefore the word actually implies something that will go in as a raw state and after full immersion be changed. And this definition is borne out by the context of baptism in scripture. For example, you might have heard of Philip the Evangelist, who was taken from Samaria by God to intercept a traveling man, a eunuch from Ethiopia. And we see here that he was studying from God's word. And Philip was able to instruct him in the things concerning Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. In other words, in the gospel message. And he did this from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And here's the climax. This is Acts 8 verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So we can see from this example in scripture three things. First of all, in order to be baptized, it requires an adult level of understanding. The eunuch was instructed from God's word. Which, second thing, led to belief and conviction. And then thirdly, It involves full immersion in water. 
So it's not sprinkling drops of water on a baby that does not understand. This is an adult who's convinced of their need for baptism and understands what they are doing. And so if we're going to assess the importance of baptism, now we understand what it is, we should briefly look at the one who instituted it. And we see similar things in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Matthew says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And later in that chapter we read, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So John the Baptist is preaching a baptism of repentance. And repentance is simply a word that means change your ways. So that idea of a change implied in the word, in the Greek word baptism of changing colour, we, um, as we've seen, we see here in John's call to be baptised. And when Jesus came to him, we read, Then Jesus come from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So what we see here is that Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to show God is right and to show a change of ways is needed. So is baptism important? I think they are all important things. And if Jesus was baptised, it leans towards it being important, doesn't it? But there's a bit more to baptism in Christ. It's not just a baptism of repentance. That was John's baptism. Baptism in Christ is something more. However, it does retain the elements of change, except now it's a really big change. And you, um, and so this is where we come to our reading that we read together. Romans six is Paul's explanation of the importance of baptism into the Lord Jesus Christ and what it actually represents in detail. So remember we said baptizo, the Greek word means to uh, change color, to completely immerse, to come out different. Well, we read in verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? fully immersed into his death. We're buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So baptism is an outward symbol of an internal change. It's the start of a new life. But it's more than mere repentance because it's a baptism into Christ's death. Being underwater and fully immersed is as if we've crucified our old life and been symbolically in the tomb with Jesus, says Paul. And when we're raised up out of the water, we're resurrected, as it were, to a new way of living and a new status in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the thing is, this is where it gets important, is that if you are not baptised, the status quo is that you are still in service to something. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And Paul says we've got a choice to be baptised and serve God or be enslaved to our own desires and our own way of life. And most people don't realise that they're not free. But Paul says... We actually spend our lives enslaved to king's sin, as it were. But by choosing to symbolically die with Christ, we're set free from service to sin because we've specifically and deliberately chosen to serve God. So verse 12, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey it in its passions. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one you are obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. So like that eunuch that was taught um, to a standard of teaching, he then became obedient from the heart. And verse 18, being set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So we can understand why the eunuch went on his way rejoicing, being free to serve righteousness rather than serving sin. So Romans 6 is all about fruit. What fruit do you want to bear in your life? And it really lays before us the point that in baptism we're identifying with Christ's death, burial and resurrection. So is baptism important? Well, here we see that we can actually escape slavery to sin by being crucified in Christ by symbolically being buried with him and then being resurrected or raised with him to a new life in Christ and then we are free to serve God. So I think we are coming to realise that baptism is both significant and important. 
However, to reinforce its importance, here's Christ's direct instructions, Mark 16. And he says to them, that's his disciples, and uh, to us as well, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So the question, is baptism important? I could rephrase here as, is salvation important? Because if salvation is important, then yes, obviously, baptism is important. And it's not just later in his ministry that Jesus emphasised the importance of baptism. Very early on, Nicodemus the Pharisee, who came to him by night, Jesus answered uh, to, to Nicodemus's query and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus actually tells Nicodemus right at the outset of his ministry that you need to be baptised with water and have a changed attitude from God's Spirit word to be in God's coming kingdom and baptism is so important that it's reference not only in the fact that the apostles went off preaching and baptizing starting with peter on the day of pentecost where the people asked what must we do when they realized the gravity of what they had done in that they had crucified and put to death the messiah the son of god the answer that Peter gave them of what must they do was to be baptised. It was that important and the only thing that would save them. And what when we look at that passage, we see that they... Um, had repented, their hearts were affected. See verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So they're cut right to the heart. And Peter's answer is baptism because it was the only thing that would save them. It's that important. And Peter says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's another thing that seems important, doesn't it? Forgiveness. It's another thing that we're told baptism can provide. And the Apostle Paul's preaching, uh, we read of baptism being an integral part of his message of salvation. So, for example... Uh, by way of illustration, here's the jailer in Philippi. Uh, after the miraculous earthquake and realising that God is with them, he asks, what is the one important thing I must do? What must I do to be saved? And the answer, Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household." And did the jailer just say he believed? 
or did he demonstrate that belief? And so we read, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And all the letters that are written in the New Testament reinforce being baptized into Christ and the change of relationship that it brings by being in him. So, for example, Paul to the Galatians points out the promises that God made in the book of Genesis all the way back in the beginning to Abraham, we can actually inherit and be a partaker of those promises by being in Christ. So Galatians 3 verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. So the whole point of the Bible, the promises made in the Old Testament, they will all apply to us if we're baptised as well. But it, this passage is important because it talks about the fact that not only do we gain this benefit by baptism in Christ, but that it's salvation open to everyone without distinction. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. They're all one when baptised. And they're all free from sin. And they're all part of God's plan of salvation and his plan with the promises. And partakers of them and sons and daughters of God. Doesn't that seem important? And some people might say, well, look, what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptised, yet he's promised a place in God's kingdom when Christ returns. So we read of this, for example, in Luke 23, that, that uh, one of the criminals who was hanged railed on him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? It's a little bit like our reading that we're all under sin. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, and I'll paraphrase here, I don't have to remember you. I'm going to tell you today. You will be with me in paradise. Now, on the surface, it seems like he just believed and was promised a place in God's coming kingdom. Yet, think about what we've just learned in our reading. Being baptised is a type of being crucified with Christ voluntarily and being buried with him. And this man is literally baptised. He is 
crucified with Christ. But also, he's born of the spirit word with a changed attitude. That's the difference between the two men on the cross. And so Christ promises him because he's crucified and buried with him, but also is born of the spirit word that God, that Christ promises him that he certainly will be raised to a new life in God's coming kingdom. Now, some might be inclined to counter and say, well, what about John 6? And if we look at John 6, verse 40, it says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. So according to this verse, baptism is not that important. You just have to believe. However, he's making a scriptural allusion here, and it's not the only time he does so to this event of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. And he says the same way they believed and were saved, you have an opportunity to do similar. But he then goes on to explain, they ate manna in Moses' time. It's now a bit different. There is no manna and you have to physically demonstrate your belief. And so if you read on in the chapter, Jesus explains what is required to have eternal life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, you know, hang on, we've had belief and baptism as eternal life, but now eating this bread, which is his flesh, that's actually eternal life. So are there different things we have to do to be saved? The Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So this is all a bit confusing, isn't it? Unless it somehow relates to what we already know. But Jesus helps us piece this together. He's speaking here deliberately in riddles we find out because of the Pharisees. But to his disciples, he later explains it. And it actually all becomes clear in the upper room, just before he was about to be crucified. Or follow through on the type of the serpent on the pole that Moses put up before the people. He would be openly displayed and in doing so submit to what would be the template for baptism. And so on the eve of putting together this template for our salvation by being able to be buried in his crucifixion, he explains to his disciples in the upper room, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing, broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And he took a cup, which when he'd given thanks, gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So that the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine is what those that are baptized do together, typically on the first day of the week. So back in John 6, Jesus is really stating that belief in him really needs to lead to baptism following the template of the uh, Christ on the cross as a symbol of baptism, like Moses um, put the serpent in, in, on a pole in the wilderness. And not only does it lead to a baptism of a believing individual, but also the partaking in the breaking of bread in order to be saved. Because those that break bread or those that eat his flesh are those that, are, that believe and are baptised in him. So, for example, we read earlier the day of Pentecost where those listening asked Peter what should they do to be saved and he told them to repent and be baptised. And we read the end of the chapter there. So those who received his word were baptised and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the fellowship and breaking of bread is what follows after baptism. So back in John 6, Jesus is implying baptism when he says, believe on me and be saved, because he says it's eternal life if you progress to the point of eating a fellowship meal that represents my body and blood. In other words, he's saying, be baptised, follow in a new way of life with a new attitude, and that new way of life involves meeting together and remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We can see this example in many places in the New Testament. So here's Acts 20, when they met on the first day of the week to break bread. In other words, to remember Christ in eating bread and drinking wine has he appointed. And we know this because Paul says to the Corinthians when laying out how they should conduct themselves uh, every first day of the week, every Sunday as they met together, he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's like a mini repeat of our baptism in our minds, isn't it? Because baptism is demonstrating our identification with the death of Christ and eating bread and drinking wine is re-establishing that commitment in our minds and remembering it and reminding of ourselves of our commitment to uh, Christ in baptism. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. So our way of life 
our attitude, our being born of the Spirit, as it were, is a process of which baptism is the start. And that is why baptism is important. So here's some of the things we've discovered about baptism's importance so far. But there's something even more profound than it being repentance, than it just being a symbol of identifying with Christ and being buried with him. Something even more than just showing that God is right. Remember we read in Romans 6 that we're buried with him and raised in him. Well, the Bible speaks of this as an atonement, a covering. In baptism, it's not that just our sins to that point in time are forgiven. Our whole lives are covered by Christ. We are in him at baptism. And if we continue to live our lives in him, we remain in Christ. So John in his epistle puts it this way, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jew, Greek, bond-free, whoever's baptised. So, John's saying we have our sins forgiven at baptism, but we still make mistakes and err. But, if we're trying to be like Christ, to grow in spirit, as it were, to live a new life in Christ, John says we have a propitiation or a covering for our sins that's on offer to everyone. The whole world can take advantage of it if they want. But when we are baptised, we are in Christ and our sins are covered. And Paul in Colossians puts it this way, If you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So we saw in Romans 6 that we're raised in Christ at baptism, but we also need to be born of the Spirit, we saw Christ say in John 3. And Paul continues, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. And my point is, he's obviously talking about baptism here, in being raised with Christ, but look at the result of being baptised and being thinking on a different level, being uh, thinking spiritually on things above. Why does Paul say it's important? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul's saying we're reconciled to God because when he looks at us, if we're baptised... He doesn't see our imperfections and our faults. So not only can they be forgiven, but we can be brought into a special relationship 
with God in Christ. And we read of this in um, John 17. After instituting that meal in the upper room, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples that were with him, but for all those who will believe on me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he's praying for his Father's help, so that he will be able to bring this about through his death, bringing people making people one with God in himself. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Christ has this amazing relationship with God. He is one with the Father. And he's holding out to you and I the opportunity to share in this relationship that he has with his father. And the way we're clearly told that we're in God and Christ is in baptism, which is into his death. And so that's why he's praying that this would happen before his death. He's praying that his death would glorify God and bring this about us being one with him and God so that we may share in their relationship together. Now, we might love God and Christ in our lives, but we're doing this from the outside, so to speak. So if we love God and Christ just in our lives without making any commitment, we're doing it from the outside of their relationship, as it were, unless we're baptised. Unless we are baptised, we are not in them. And we don't enter in them except through Christ's death. Else what was the point of Christ's death? The whole point of Christ going through his excruciating, agonising crucifixion was so that you and I could be baptised and be one with God in him. So let me be clear. Baptism is so important that the Son of God willingly died on the cross just so that you and I could have the free choice to be baptised and be one with God in Christ. That's how important it is. It's so important that Jesus died for it. And when we're baptised, we're in effect joining into his death in symbol, acknowledging how important it is and being at one with God 
in his son by this new relationship, which we commemorate and remember each week in bread and wine once we're baptized. That is the fellowship and the bread and prayers of the believers. So now our uh, reading in Romans 6, remember it talked about being raised a new creature? Well, with that as a template, we can understand Paul in 2 Corinthians where he talks about how important baptism is. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ constrains us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. So all those that identify with his death have also died in baptism. And he died for all, that those who live may long, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul's saying those raised up out of the waters of baptism no longer live for themselves. They're not slaves to king sin, but they live for him. So you can see he's clearly talking about baptism here. And he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So he's talking about being baptized and raised into newness of life, just as he was talking about in Romans 6. But he now goes on to talk about the importance of baptism. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of making one. Calling people to be one with God in Christ. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making this appeal through us and we implore you on their behalf. So what's the result of baptism? Paul says, reconciliation, bringing us into one relationship with God in his son through baptism, through our renewal as a new creature. And so I am here as an ambassador for reconciliation. Yes, baptism is important. It is salvation because it's the way that we put on Christ. And it's the way that we're brought into a close relationship with God. Because basically, we share Christ's relationship with his heavenly Father if we are in him. And the most tangible way that we do that is in prayer. Because we have an advocate in Christ, says John. We saw John saying that when we're baptised in Christ, we have a propitiation or a covering. But he also says that when we're in Christ, we have an advocate, someone who puts their arm around us, as it were, and brings us to God. 
My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. righteous. He is the propitiation, the covering of our sins. And not only ours, but the whole world if they choose to be baptised. And Paul in Romans 8 tells us how this having an advocate works when we're in Christ. He hears what we mean to say and prays that on our behalf to God. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we know not what to pray as we walk, but or that the Spirit of Christ himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How amazing and how important is that? That is what sharing Christ's relationship with God means in a practical sense, doesn't it? So we've seen that baptism is glorifying God, declaring that God is right, that we are sinners in need of salvation, and that identifying with Christ's death and being buried and raised with him we have our sins forgiven and if we lead a new life and abide in um, a, a new life and um, partake in the apostles' bread and fellowship, we are able to also live in him and abide in him in a very practical way with Christ as our covering and the promise of all these things in scripture is eternal life and God's kingdom. Now, Ephesians 4 is a chapter about unity in God. Verse 4 of Ephesians 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And what does Paul choose to describe that one baptism as? Verse 20, that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So this is the learning in the past and the belief like we saw in the Ethiopian eunuch and the jailer which is then demonstrated verse 22 to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires so that's dying in baptism that's what he's talking about it's like Romans 6 again verse 23 and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds so remember Christ's words to Nicodemus that he needs to be born of water and of spirit if he wanted to be in God's kingdom well Paul's reiterating that being renewed or born of the spirit word in our thinking or in our minds is the key and verse 24 to put off put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness so we, to put off the old self, that is to go under the water of baptism, and put on the new self, 
In other words, being in Christ. And Ephesians 4 is really great because it goes on to talk about how our new life in Christ should be as part of a community that are participating in eating bread and the wine of fellowship together. And we read in Romans 6 about baptism, but if you read on in the book of Romans, Paul goes on to talk about living in this new life in Christ. And Romans 12 tells us it's a growing awareness that changes or transforms us. Romans 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, isn't he really alluding to baptism that he's just talked about back in chapter 6, as how we identify with Christ's sacrifice and figuratively put ourselves to death, even though we're living he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And that word transformed in the Greek is the word metamorphosis, so like a butterfly. And so he's saying the importance of baptism is that it's accompanied by a process of mental transformation in our thinking. We get to a point in our minds that we realise what is the will of God for us? Remember Christ showing God's righteousness. Well, here Paul calls that what is perfect and acceptable will of God. And so we submit to baptism. So hopefully you've seen that baptism is important. Not only is it a promise of salvation and life but it's the start of a way of life a life lived to God by living and abiding in the covering that he has provided which is the Lord Jesus Christ Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.